Hi, everyone. Welcome to Finding Anchor, Parenting in the New Non-Normal, a podcast for parents and their teens. My name is Tim Cavell. And I'm Phyllis Fagel. Tim and I are both authors and therapists who work with parents, teens, and families. I wrote the book, Middle School Matters, The 10 Key Skills Kids Need to Thrive in Middle School and Beyond, and How Parents Can Help. And I wrote a book for therapists called Working with Parents of Aggressive Children. We both also work in schools. Phyllis is the counselor at Sheridan School, a K-8 school in Washington, D.C., and I teach at the University of Arkansas in the Department of Psychological Science. The past year has been hard on many of us. We are still dealing with a global pandemic, even after months of being locked down and staying socially distanced. Our aim with each podcast episode is to offer support, information, hope, and affirmation to parents and teens, especially those who are struggling emotionally during these tough times. Finding Anchor is a five-part limited series presented by Trestle Tree. New episodes will air every Wednesday. You can listen and subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you do your listening. On today's episode of Finding Anchor, Phyllis and I will be sharing our impressions of how the past year has challenged us in our work with parents and teens. We'll take stock of what we learned over the past year with the hope that our conversation will be a resource for those facing emotional and mental health issues during these troubling times. Welcome, Phyllis. Thank you. That's just listening to you talk about the past year. I'm realizing everyone who's listening has really survived quite a lot, no matter what their situation is. Yes. I know enough about you and your work, Phyllis, to know that you have a real sensitivity to how kids are reacting, uh, given your work. You seem to have your pulse well on the, on the heart of children and your sensibility to what they're experiencing if you had to pick one word to describe what it's been like for the kids that you've interacted with in the past year, and that's probably unfair, but what would the one word be? You know, I hate to pick a negative word because in a lot of ways, I think kids have been even more resilient than parents have been, but I'm inclined to pick a word like shell-shocked or bamboozled or overwhelmed because they have just had to manage an overwhelming amount of change, really overnight. And at the same time, they've been absorbing all of the ambient anxiety and all of their parents' anxiety as well. Well, that interesting you say that because my next question was about parents. If you had to pick one word to describe what you think it's been like for parents and you yourself are a parent, what would that word be? Yes. And I, I do have three kids and they have been e-learners for the bulk of the year. My youngest is 12 and he's going back to school April 12th, really, for the first time. And as a parent, I think there's an uneasiness that we're all feeling. We want to make sure that we're helping our kids to the extent that we can. I think it's really hard to know that we can't shield them from all disappointment. And I have to constantly remind myself that our job isn't to shield them from all disappointment, but to help them recover when they experience it. Because if the pandemic has taught us anything, in addition to everything going on in the news, it's that they are seeing everything, hearing everything, experiencing everything, and they need tools to manage all of that. Could you describe for me what the pace felt like for you to have to pivot and to work with kids uh, who were going remotely or parents who were whose children were going remotely? From my standpoint, it felt pretty rapid and just sort of my, left my head spinning. Yes, I think all of us can remember the day that we left work or left school or our kids were suddenly home after 
attending school daily. I can still remember my seventh grader coming home in March of sixth grade and saying to me, they sent me home with all of my books for the rest of the school year. That can't be a good thing. And in many ways, he was prescient. He knew long before we did. And I think that it's probably a good thing we didn't know what was coming. I think the fact that we got to ease into it and that over time, what we were contending with revealed itself is probably just as well. I think we wouldn't have been able to handle it, many of us, if we had known it was going to be a full year of disruption and change and uncertainty. So it was really rapid as a school counselor, having to go from seeing kids in person to seeing kids on a screen uh, was really uh, jarring. You don't have the benefit of the body language. We know that a lot of kids struggled during distance learning learning because they didn't have the benefit of having more adult eyes on the ground on them. It's a lot easier to read how a kid is doing or how they're feeling if you can see that they're tentatively poking their head in your room or if they're, you know, skulking by, walking by multiple times. It's a lot harder for them to ask for help proactively, which is essentially what many needed to do, especially if we didn't know that they were struggling. And many kids who were not struggling prior to the pandemic struggled for the first time during the pandemic. And I think that blindsided a lot of them. What are you seeing with the older adolescents that you work with? I think I'm seeing that what I'm often reminding my patients about, it seems rather trite to say, but there is a serious health crisis going on and we're locked down. And if you're wondering why you feel grumpy or depressed or anxious, that's probably the first place to look. But because it's persisted, I think we can easily forget that's what we're living in. And, you know, it's fascinating to hear you suggest if we had known it was going to be a year, that would have been more trying than the fact that we gradually eased into that one year. That's, I, I've not thought about that. It's almost as if we, we sort of gradually shouldered more and more of this lockdown and pandemic. Yes. And I think that there's been a cumulative impact as a result. I know that my students that I work with and my clients, the kids I work with, in private practice talk a lot about the sameness of their days. And the kids I work with, I'm now seeing them in person at least half the time. And their days are pretty heavily choreographed in a way that they have never been before. They have arrows telling them which way to walk. They have masks. They have cohorts. They may not be with their closest friends. They may wonder where they stand in the eyes of friends who they don't get to see as often or as intimately. They're not touching one another. A lot of kids have been sharing this lack of tactile connection with kids. And we think of little kids or second grade boys or girls as piling on top of one another and really needing that kind of physical feedback. But it's just as important, if not more so, for tweens, for fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth graders, and even high schoolers who are accustomed to huddling around their phones at a locker or giving each other hugs. I had a couple of girls who were in middle school in Canada share with me that they just missed holding hands with their friends. And so there's this cumulative loss that comes up in lots of different ways and different kids experience it differently. If you ask a child, would you rather have known from the get-go, they feel the same way that I do. They, they say, no, I think it would have been too hard to know what was coming. And I did ask them, what would you do differently if you knew that this was coming or would you have done anything differently? And the answers are, are really uh, sweet and melancholy to a certain extent. Some kids have told me they would have run around hugging every Everybody. One kid told me they would have invented a special suit that allowed them to stay in contact with everyone without getting sick. And this is not to say that there 
haven't been benefits for kids to this pandemic too. I've had probably an equal number of kids tell me that for them, one of the side benefits or, and I've, I've been using the phrase sh- shades of gray because silver linings can seem a little toxically positive to some kids. But one of the shades of gray is that they are realizing for the first time what it means to slow down. I had one middle school girl say to me, I had no idea until the pandemic that relaxing wasn't simply being less busy. And I've had other kids tell me that they realized they had been judging themselves based on this imaginary resume that they were building for a goal they hadn't even been able to articulate. And they were burnt out, even though they were 13. And this has been a chance to reset and to recover from a really an unsustainable, self-inflicted pace in many ways. I think we tend to unfairly malign parents as putting pressure on kids, but often it's just that they're in an environment where they're marinating in that stress and where everybody is feeling that pressure to go, 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 to achieve, achieve, achieve. And so I'm hoping we can hold on to some of those lessons on the other side of this. Wow, that's just so intriguing. You said so many things that I've reacted to. One of the things you said earlier was that your students often look to you for sort of touch points, checking in, if you will. They're not formal meetings. They're just touch points. Is that, am I getting that right? That they sort of lost that? Yeah. And I think you work with people in practice and therapy more often than I do, I'm sure, because my full-time day job is in a school. And so I am not spending concentrated periods of time with kids. It's really brief solution-focused therapy. They're coming in. I'm spending 10, 15 minutes. I'm trying to remove whatever is getting in their way so they can go back to class and learn, or they can go to recess and play with their friends, because that's really what we want, especially now, is for kids to re-engage. I've had a lot of parents tell me they're concerned that their kid is disengaged in learning, that suddenly they're not getting excited about the books they're reading or the work that's being assigned, whereas before the pandemic, they did get excited, and they're despairing and worried that their kid won't ever be as enthusiastic about learning again. But I don't think it has anything to do with learning. I think it has to do with that flatness that so many kids are experiencing because they don't know what they can anticipate with excitement. They don't know which milestones will actually occur. Will they have the graduation? Will they have the prom? Will they be able to have a sleepover or go to camp? Will they be able to have recess with everyone in their class anytime soon? And so I really feel like when we can find ways to infuse some novelty, to break up the routine, a little bit to make sure that we're being optimistic and using when, not if language with our kids and helping them have sort of a timeline for when they can anticipate things, I think it will leak into academics as well. I think it's all of the different areas of their lives are bleeding into one another right now. For the better is what I'm... Yes, I think for the better. I think as the vaccines roll out, as some semblance of normalcy resumes, as kids can start to plan for things, I do think that that enthusiasm that the kids who felt excited about school felt before the pandemic, I do believe that will return. In the meantime, I think we can prime them to have that enthusiasm by looking for ways to just add some lightness and joy now, even if it's just a family movie night or asking your child to tell you a funny joke because kids love to make adults laugh. 
Yeah. The students I work with, of course, are older than yours. They're college students. But like yours, they have struggled in the flatness. I love that term, Phyllis, that there's a flatness to life. I've said it this way, that COVID has, has kind of sucked the joy right out of life. And even if, when you create opportunities to connect and do something enjoyable, I don't want to sound overly pessimistic, but there are times where it feels a bit hollow. Like it's not completely 100% authentic, you know? Yeah. And yet I long for those days. For the students that are doing better, have you been able to identify any traits or attitudes or approaches that you think are enabling them? Because one of the things I've noticed is that the kids who are the most resilient are not necessarily the kids who've had the least trauma. There isn't necessarily a correlation between the level of disruption in a child's life and how well they're doing. And so I'm curious if you're seeing that and and how that manifests. Right. Well, the first young person that comes to my mind when you ask that is not a college student, but was a teenager who was one of my patients and just an incredibly resilient, bright, lovely young man. And their family was taking particular care because a parent had an underlying health condition and he was doing his job for his family. It was very impressive and he was still very upbeat. But one day he hit the wall. There was some opportunity to do some additional schoolwork that he had committed to, but it wasn't required. And he decided he didn't want to do it. His mom thought he should follow through. He sank really quickly uh, and actually was scaring his mom with talk of wanting to hurt himself. And this was a child that did a 180 in terms of going from being very upbeat and positive and resilient to just sinking quickly. I think he was perhaps, in my mind, sort of hyper-resilient. He was working too hard on behalf of his parents and lost his time to play. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. And I think probably part of it, and I see this with my kids in my own home and also the students and and kids I work with in therapy, that when they have a sense of purpose, whether it's helping to keep the family afloat, whether it's having a job, whether it's walking the dog, I think that's part of why pandemic puppies (laughs) have been so helpful for so many kids. And I am the parent of a pandemic puppy in addition to my human babies. Um, And I think that giving back in some way, helping other people has been really key. And I've been advising parents of kids who do hit that wall, who do start to really fall apart. And often it it is scary for parents. There's a sense of helplessness that just settles in. And at least your your client was in therapy already for parents whose children are not in therapy and who have right. never sought help right. of that nature before. They don't right. even know where to begin. But sometimes doing volunteer work or helping a friend who's doing even worse can really right. lift the spirits of the kid who's well, in, a, in a bad place. I'm going place. to tell you what my recommendation was for this family and to know that his mom is a teacher. My prescription was basically for both of them to play hooky one day to skip school and just take a drive out of town. And I have to confess that I did that exact same thing about eight weeks earlier because I was flat and bottomed out. And my wife said, you got to get out. And so I drove three days to see some friends in North Carolina. We rented a big place and we're socially distanced. And it was just therapeutic just to see and do something different. Finding Anchor, Parenting in the New Non-Normal is brought to you by Trussell Tree, a health transformation company founded on the belief that anyone, regardless of their level of motivation, can change difficult health behaviors and sustain those changes long-term. 
For the past 20 years, Trussell Tree has helped employers lower their health care costs through engaging and influencing employees and family members to holistically improve health conditions such as diabetes, obesity, stress, high blood pressure, and tobacco addiction. A supporting sponsor for this podcast is Foreign Service Benefit Plan, focusing on the mental wellness for all members. To learn more about Trussell Tree, visit www.trusselltree.com. That's www.trusselltree.com. And now, back to the show. You know, we had this advice from everywhere, set up a routine. I think we were routined to death after a few months. Yeah, and I think that's that choreographed sameness that was really getting to my students. And there's a balance because in the face of so much change and uncertainty, kids really do crave predictability and consistency and ritual. It's reassuring after a trauma to know that the teacher is going to have the same greeting or is going to do the same Quizlet game every Friday and that there's something that they can depend on. But they also need, much like we as adults do and kids are people too, that novelty, that fun, something to look forward to, something to break up that routine because it's been just an interminable year with just a lot of feelings of disconnect and feelings of boredom, really. Boredom is just such a mood killer in so many ways. I spend a fair amount of time at the beginning of each Zoom class checking in with my students. And again, these are college students, so they're in various uh, levels of attentiveness. And often they've got a blanket around them that may be in their bed or on a couch. And I think they really appreciate when I just check to to see how they're doing and they have a chance to to speak about their humanity other than just being someone in a class doing an assignment. And we build a sense of community. And this is kind of strange. We started it last spring with my class. The students created a group me, this group text. And so this group me is going on back channel while we're in class and even outside of class. So it's a little sense of community and they love to tease me. And so we've made some fun with it. I love that. And I think the little kid equivalent or the tween equivalent or even the high school equivalent, and I have middle schoolers and high schooler living in my house, is you see a lot of texting going on during class. And obviously it's not ideal and teachers don't necessarily want people to be texting their friends or sending private chats to their friends in the middle of class. But what it really is, is that eagerness to create a sense of community, a sense of belonging when everybody is so unmoored, especially if they're entirely virtual. And I know parents are worried about learning loss. And I use, I put that in quotes because I'm not really sure what that even means. I really strongly believe that it's a lot easier to make up academic ground than to fix broken kids. And that those moments of connection that you're talking about at the beginning of your classes, whether it's a college kid or a seven-year-old, are just so important. Now, I don't think kids want to be hammered with questions all of the time, especially for anyone listening who has kids in that nine to 14-year-old range. Anything could feel too intrusive. It could feel like you're pummeling them with questions. And I've had kids in the past say to me, I don't like it when a parent says to me, are you okay? Because I feel like I have to say, yes, I'm fine. But that's the biggest lie that all of us tell. And then once I've said I'm fine, I feel like I've lost my opportunity. So I think it's a lot more powerful and effective for parents to just be present, be consistent, be loving, be ready for those nuggets whenever they're revealed, as opposed to constantly uh, mining for misery or you know interviewing for pain or trying to figure out if there's a problem, but rather to just 
be there and to be a good listener, a non-judgmental listener. I love that. I just can't agree with that more. You know, that if you want to get in sync with your child, less is more. You want to slow down and get in rhythm with them. And if they're not talking, then maybe you shouldn't be talking and just be with them. But you said something really fascinating that I'd like you to expound upon. And I think it's important that you're not concerned about learning loss as much as children being broken in other ways. What would be the reassuring words that you would give to parents about how they should think about learning loss, as you say in quotes? I put it in quotes because everybody has had a different pace of learning. Now, some people have had an easier time with Zoom learning or virtual learning, and some people might have had tutoring or might be planning to do summer school, and they may have other advantages, whereas other kids might really have been disconnected technologically. They may have trauma in the home that's above and beyond what most kids are experiencing, and they may be farther, you know, quote unquote, behind. And I'm not saying that there isn't academic work that will need to happen or that there won't have to be differentiation or assessment to try to figure out where kids are and what they need. But I don't, I I just don't think that we will be able to help those kids recover or continue to learn and be excited and engaged in their learning unless they are feeling centered and whole and self-regulated and loved and cared for and have that sense of belonging. All of those things are much harder to reestablish and will absolutely get in the way of learning. And frankly, even the kids who have been straight A kids, doing great, doing all the extra credit work. And there are kids who were previously successful that were less successful during the pandemic. But even the kids who have been super successful, I really question how much anybody is going to remember of what they learned, Mm. regardless of their grades or their scores, Mm -hmm. because our brains are just flooded with cortisol. We have been in this sustained state of stress for so long that I think there will have to be a fair amount of reteaching for everybody. So here's an odd question. And, you know, as a therapist, I'm often saying that to my patients. Here's an odd question. Do you think the kids that you've encountered, maybe the ones even in your home, that because of what we've gone through, that they're sort of like the Grinch, that their heart has grown? I do. I was listening to the developmental pediatrician, Ken Ginsberg, do a webinar the other day. And he was talking about people who were the product of the Great Depression Mm. and how they are really great at saving food, Mm. reusing tinfoil, how they have these qualities of thriftiness that other generations didn't have that they got because of the Depression. And he was saying that sense of isolation kids had, disconnection from grandparents, as an example. He believes that the seeds have been planted for this generation of kids to have just an abundance of appreciation for connection, Mm -hmm. a veneration of family, Mm -hmm. uh, an appreciation for community that he thinks will serve them well for the rest of their lives and that will make them a uniquely resilient and uniquely grounded generation. Wow, I love hearing that. Related to that, it seems, and this has been my impression, maybe yours as well, Phyllis, is that the whole stigma surrounding mental health care has been greatly reduced. I hope so. And I had actually been seeing that for quite some time before the pandemic. It used to be that people were very open about the problems going on in their families, but they were very reluctant to get therapy. Right. Uh, you know, In terms of their interactions with me, maybe not more globally open with everyone. But what I found over time is that there is an increasing openness to therapy. And I think that the pandemic has just cracked that nut open <laughs> completely. And when parents say to me now, how do I know if they need therapy? I say, yes, because 
yes, because everybody needs therapy or everybody would benefit from therapy right now. How can you have a year of so much turmoil mm. and tumult and craziness and not need a little assistance. And so if you are suspecting that your child needs that extra help, go get it for them for 100%. Now, the caveat is that not every kid needs therapy as the help. You know, I'll use my own 12-year-old as an example. He was really struggling late last spring. You know, all of his sports had stopped. He was an 11-year-old boy at the time. He hadn't even really used social media. So it was really hard for him to figure out how to connect with friends. He was losing his get up and go. He wasn't really getting off the couch. But I didn't think he was the best candidate for therapy because he wasn't looking to really have a deep conversation about what he was experiencing. What he needed and what I ended up getting for him was a college kid who was, you know, it was sort of win-win because the college kid was depressed too that they couldn't go to school. But this college kid was a baseball player and couldn't play baseball. And I hired him to come a few times a week to play baseball with my kid. I love that. That was it. That was what he needed. He needed somebody he could look up to who would get him off the couch and outside. So we can think a little more expansively about what help looks like or what they need. We can communicate with the school. They may have some good suggestions as well. But therapy is definitely one very, very solid, good option. You know, when the pandemic started, you may remember, there was this fear that we were didn't have enough toilet paper. And so in my, my dream, it would be that therapy would be sort of like toilet paper. <laughs> It's like, you need to get some toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, like run a precious out. commodity. Yeah, exactly. That, I don't know what that says. That's probably a really bad analogy, but... Uh. No, I, you know, I think that it goes back to the idea of developing an appreciation. And there is research showing that young adults who graduate during a depression or a recession who have a harder time finding a job ended up having more joy, satisfaction, and flexibility mm. later in life. So there is research out there showing that these periods of uncertainty are actually in many ways good for kids. It helps them develop those transition calluses. This is not the only negative experience they're going to have in their life. What's unusual about it is that we're all experiencing it at the same time. But whatever skills they develop right now are going to serve them no matter what setback they have going forward. And you know, I'm, I'm going to flip it back to you as we wrap it up. I know we're we're hitting the end of our time. I would love to know what you see as the shades of gray or silver linings coming out of this on the young adults and teens you're working with. I'd like to believe that the need for quarantines, you've heard that term, right? Who are you quarantining with? Uh, has created also an appreciation for family. And I'm a big believer in a family that parents are the leaders of their family and that Perhaps it was an opportunity for parents to take the lead in their quarantine and have a collective experience and be challenged and figure out how can we do what we do as our family. I've not run into many families where there's a lot of discord or dissension or rebellion. And maybe that's happened. I just haven't encountered that. And so in a way, there may be as we're pulling together in the same direction. Maybe that's one of the, the upshots, the positive sides of this pandemic. And again, the other thing is just families seem to be doing well and I just can't tell you how many times I've had to remind folks that these are difficult times. And our tendency as a human being is to fault the people that we're around for our difficulties rather than the situation we're in. It's called the fundamental attribution error. Psychologists have studied it for years. And it means that you're attributing blame to people as opposed to the circumstances. Well, folks, the circumstances are worthy of blame. So that's my big takeaway, I think. 
I love that. And I, I love that we're ending on an optimistic note. And I know we'll be back here talking to lots of different experts who will share their thoughts on how we as parents can help our kids recover on the other side of this, because we can now see that there is another side of this. And to a great extent, a lot of the work we'll do will be on the other side. But I do think that message that parents are powerful and can really be an incredible source of support for kids, even when they're imperfect, even if there is strife in the home, there's a lot that they can do right. to help their kids. And that there are threads of optimism. I love that you've pointed out threads of optimism. Yes, definitely. I have to believe that too. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Well, we probably should close. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Bye. And that's our show. Special thanks today to our presenting sponsor, Trestle Tree. To learn more about the good work they do, visit www.trestletree.com. You can listen and subscribe to Finding Anchor on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you do your listening. If you liked this episode, please consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing the show with a friend. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye now. <laughs>